This is The Plural of You, a podcast about people helping people. I'm Josh Morgan. Ben Lavacek is an amateur skateboarder who lives in Kansas City, Missouri. In 2014, he and his friends decided to build a public skate park in the city's Columbus Park neighborhood. They settled on a vacant lot at the intersection of Harrison Street and another dead-end street. They soon began cleaning up the place and building their first skateboarding obstacles, and they gave the project a name, the Harrison Street DIY Project. After some resistance from the city's Department of Public Works, the project now has overwhelming support from local residents. Ben and I talked recently via Skype about the project and how it has been a rare success in many respects, and I'll play that conversation in a moment. I learned about the Harrison Street DIY project not long after a Kansas City news station ran a feature on it. I thought the project was fascinating because it's not often that a group of citizens can appropriate abandoned property like this and succeed at it. I reached out to Ben mostly to discuss the skate park, and I was surprised to discover other socially encouraging angles on the situation, like that the neighborhood residents have stepped up to support the project in a big way, and that it's been a positive influence on young people in the area. It's also become more than just a skate park. Runners, families, and other groups have started using the space. And the group is planning to begin workshops at the park this summer too, which will be another way to bring people in the neighborhood closer together. I'm thankful that Ben made time to talk with me about the project. I've enjoyed following it online, and I think you'll be interested too. Here's Ben Lavacek, co-founder of the Harrison Street DIY Project. Hello, Ben. Hey, Josh. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. How's your day been? Oh, pretty good. I mean, it's really hot in Kansas City, but got off work early and ran some errands and went on a long walk. So, you know, how about you? It's been all right. About the same. Cool. So I've been wondering, what do you do for a living? Oh, I do freelance like production work for photography shoots, mostly for advertising. And then I also do landscaping as well. I got you. Kind of a mixture of things. Okay. So how long have you been doing all of that? Oh, I've been doing the photo work for like three years, supplemented by part-time jobs. And I just started doing the landscaping this spring. So I'm a little new to that, but it kind of, it helps because it ties into our project. So that's been kind of nice. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah. So I was hoping you could explain what your project is and what's going on. Well, basically, it's a pretty traditional do-it-yourself community-built skate park. And the way it started, and that it was sort of like a no-permission project. So it started with a group of people who are kind of into this sort of thing. We found a space that was pretty well suited for it. And so we started going slowly to see what would happen. It's kind of just kept growing and it has a positive image for a lot of people and the neighborhood has sort of accepted it. So in that aspect, it's kind of unique because usually these projects are sort of fought or, you know, it's like an uphill battle the whole way. Right. But this one has been really successful so far in that we've actually gotten permission to use the space. And it's something that is like fitting in really nicely to our neighborhood and there aren't a lot of conflicts. How long ago did you start this? This project started last November. It got really popular really quickly. We were all kind of surprised by that. We felt like these projects usually take a little bit longer to kind of gain momentum, and this one just kept building momentum. 
Why do you think that is? Like, I, I was going to ask, why do you think this is working so well in Kansas City of all places? It has worked well in other cities. I mean, sometimes certain parks have a hard time, but there's definitely been a lot of successful parks in a lot of major cities um, that are done like this. But the number one reason that this project has been successful is our neighborhood support. Without that, the project probably would have been ripped out pretty quickly by the city. So having the neighborhood stand behind us and in neighborhood meetings stand up and state to public works that they want this project to stay and they're not in favor of it being removed is pretty much the only reason that Public Works decided to keep the project. Good for them. That's great. Yeah. So it's you and three other people who started the whole thing? Yeah. I mean, there's really been a really large group, but there's sort of like a a core group of like four people that are working on it a lot as far as like coordinating everything and trying to make sure that we're like planning fundraising activities and trying to plan days where we can get people out to work on it. But we couldn't do anything that we're doing without the consistent help of, you know, a lot of people, even though they're not there all the time. But it's cool. It's been a very collaborative project. How often do you get to work on it? Oh, I mean. Kind of as you can, I guess. You know, you work on it a little bit throughout the week. Like maybe you need to make some certain tools on one day or you need to cut some concrete forms on one day. Like we kind of do little steps of the process when we have an hour after work or something. And then we have big work days, maybe once a month or every two weeks, but it's kind of all about timing. Have you and your friends done anything like this before? Yeah. And Kansas city sort of has a little track record of small projects like this. We have a public school crisis that's been going on for years and we have an alarming amount of schools that have been closed So there was a a school that had been closed for a few years and the tennis court was in disrepair and no one's really using it. And so people started building ramps there and they never had approval or anything, but also no one was really, they were kind of just looking the other way. And that lasted for, I don't know, like two or three years. And that was a neat project because it was totally unorganized. Like this project is organized and there's some people in this neighborhood that have really taken ownership over it. But with that project, it was neat because basically people would go there with no plan and just start building obstacles. So you could go there one week and there'd be like your normal, what you were expecting. And then you could go there the next week and all of a sudden there's someone else came and built something and you have a, you'd have no, no idea about it. So each obstacle there was built by like a different little group of people or kids or adults throughout the city. Oh, that's cool. And just like show up and, and add to it without being prompted or anything. It got torn down because the school district is trying to get rid of these buildings. So in the meantime, it's just vacant. That's like an unfortunate thing. And I think that's like a cool thing about projects like these is they just like point out that it's, I don't know, sort of ridiculous to be not allowing people to be using these spaces. I see. Yeah. Would you mind describing the neighborhood where you're building the skate park? Yeah, uh, I've read it's kind of rough, but I I guess I don't know what that means exactly. Yeah, my experience here has been extremely positive. I mean, we've had some strange encounters with neighbors, but the neighborhood is has a lot of people that have been living here their whole lives and they really take a lot of pride in it. And when someone is like screwing up like that, they don't really allow it. Oh, OK. So the neighborhood is like sort of a historic neighborhood in Kansas City. It's an older neighborhood and it used to be like heavily Italian. 
so it has like a history of immigrant populations. And then there is a big wave of Vietnamese immigrants, which make up a lot of the uh, neighborhood demographic now. So it's a pretty diverse neighborhood. And then so the area where our, our spot is in the 60s, maybe they leveled a lot of the neighborhood to, to build a affordable housing. And so the lot that our project is in used to be row housing, which apparently became inadequate or they were having problems or something. And they sort of raised the ground like 15 years ago and leveled everything. And it's just been a lot since then. And that lot used to be used for a lot of, you know, just normal activities that happen in vacant spaces like dumping. But I know that they've had problems with like prostitution and drug usage and just all sorts of stuff. I saw there was stuff. a homeless camp, I think. Right. When we, there's not too much of that left. And I don't right now, and I don't know if that's because of us or if it's because of a, like a city effort. Cause I know that police started showing up there and I don't know about kicking people out, but at least like making their presence known. It seems like those types of camps don't pop up where there's an abundance of activity. Like when we first started in November, I mean, there were probably like 10 different little camps pretty close to where we were working. And now I don't know if anyone's living there anymore. I see. Now, how did you and everyone else in this project get to know one another? Did you all grow up there? A little bit. I mean, I've been living here for seven years and I grew up here a little bit when I was younger and I've been pretty involved in like the skateboarding community. And that's thing in most cities, the skateboarding community is pretty tight knit just through different events. And there's usually only one or, or just a few skate parks in each town or city. So a lot of people meet each other that way. But one of the collaborators has grown up here. And then another one is from Kansas, like the middle of Kansas, kind of near where I grew up. He's been living here for a few years, but um, we just know each other through skateboarding and we've become better friends since we moved into the same neighborhood. Why do you think the skateboarding community is so tightly knit, at least in Kansas City? Well, I think skateboarding is like a unique activity because it's like collaborative and not competitive. And you can have fun skating with sort of anyone. You know, you can like feed off of a lot of different people. I think that skateboarders are pretty appreciative of if they see someone doing something different, they're like, oh, cool. I didn't think of that before. So they kind of look at it as the more people I know and like see and talk to, like the better I'm going to be as a person or a skateboarder as well. You know, it's interesting hearing you describe it that way. You know, there's always a stereotype among people who I guess don't know any better that skateboarders are bad news or they're out to cause trouble, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And it sounds like if they're given a chance to express themselves, then they're not bad at all. They can be quite the opposite. Right. There's like this uh, clash between public and private property and like who can be using this space or that space. And skateboarders push that boundary like really aggressively. And sometimes like they may be in the wrong, but I think the idea of looking at things as in like an exclusive way, you know, where only a certain group of people can use them or whatever. And I think that Right, right. Architecture is something that is interesting to interact with physically and not just like to look at. And there's ways to interact with things that people didn't plan or design. I mean, as a lot of like architects have said about skateboarders, it's like that makes them happy to see someone using this space that they designed in a way that they could have never thought of. Huh. So I think that because skateboarders are like, pushing that all the time they're like no like this is a space that you should be able to play with or just think of a new way to approach this that people are uncomfortable with that 
That's really interesting. I never thought of that. So where have you gotten the funding for this project? Well, a few of us got asked to put on an event at um, this art museum in Kansas City, a skateboarding event, and they had a small budget for it. I charged them like a $100 for our time, and I just took that money, and it was like, okay, like we all chipped in on this. Let's use this for something that like we can all work on or enjoy. And we just did what we could with that much money. And then someone would be like, hey, like, can I throw in 60 bucks? You know, and we're like, all right, that makes us a new small obstacle. And so it's kind of grown just like that. It's been a lot of small donations from people. And then like neighbors would see what we were doing and they'd say, hey, do you want I've got 20 bags of concrete sitting in my garage. Do you want that? Oh, wow. That would have been like 80 bucks. And so that made us two new, like small little obstacles. And the other benefit of what we were doing is we were basically adapting structures that were already there. So we didn't have to like build the entire thing, which would have increased like the price of it a lot. We started with just like small adaptations to the environment, which is what normal street skating does too, you know. And then just like the more and more energy we've gotten and momentum, people just keep chipping in. And then we started doing some fundraisers, barbecues at the spot. We've done art shows, raffles of artwork, where a portion like goes to the artist and goes to the project. Last week, we had a ceramic show at uh, the skate shop in town that supports us a lot, and they have a gallery space. We got like 10% of the sales for the project. We had like a film screening where we got a portion of entry prices. Recently, we got a $2,000 donation from Pabst Blue Ribbon, actually. I saw that. I was going to ask about yeah, that. Yeah, to fund a whole portion of the park. And that happened just from us reaching out for a fundraiser. We basically ask for like food donations and donations for prizes. So we can do a raffle or a skateboard contest. We ask PBR who will give us kind of donations to the skate shop for events. We asked them if they would donate some beer for our fundraiser. And so that's how they got involved. And they're like, yeah, for sure. And then they checked it out and were like, actually, we want to just make a cash donation as well. And it went from initially being like $1,000 that they were just going to donate us. Then they stepped it up to $1,500. And then when we, they came down and looked at what we were doing and we're like, we're building this bowl. Like, this is the next thing. Like, this is what your money is going to go towards. And the guy's just kind of sitting there thinking. And he's like, actually, like, we want to pay for this whole, like, build. So, like, let us know what it's going to (laughs) be. You know, kind of like mind blown. Yeah. And then uh, more recently than that, we applied for the, this grant in Kansas City called the Rocket Grant, which is an arts grant. We ended up winning. And so that's like a huge chunk of change that we have never had. And we're going to be able to do some programming that will include like build workshops. And right now our idea is that people will be able to sign up for these workshops and we may have like a limited amount of people that can sign up and we're going to provide the materials and some tools and sort of work people through the process of what it takes to make like a simple ramp and everyone can like make their own thing. And so basically they're learning and contributing to the skate park at the same time and also learning this set of skills that they can use to contribute to this project or another project in the city somewhere if they want to. That's so cool. Yeah, So that's been like a huge boost to our project and we're going to start doing that in July, but that's kind of been the funding so far. And I mean, we've had a a ton of small donations and the coolest thing about that I've noticed is that more come in, the more that we do. 
I mean, we got an individual donation for like $500 the other day, which was wow. so shocking. We've been getting a lot of good press in Kansas City as well, which helps a lot for fundraising. So what made the city change their minds about this project? I am like so in the dark with those guys. <laughs> That's been tough. Yeah, when I first started following your blog, it, it almost seemed certain that there was going to be this long fight. And I was just, you know, I was just reading along as an outsider. And it seemed like they changed their minds pretty quickly within the span of like a month or two. Right. Well, that yeah, I, I'm shocked as well. This property that our project is on only has like one real neighbor, which is another reason that it's like a good location for this project is we're not really encroaching on too many people's space. But so he's like our eyes and ears. And so he called us up one morning and was like, hey, Public Works is here. And they said they're going to tear it out today. I was actually the only one that wasn't working at the time. So I rushed down there and I'm like, oh, my God, what's going on? And eventually we talk to someone and they tell us that there's a work order out to have it taken out, but they're not going to do it that day. And so I'm talking to our neighbor and I'm like, what do we do? And he's like, is it time to try and get the press involved? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what else to do. It was just a Hail Mary. And so he contacted someone that he knew at the news and we had some other people contact some other news stations. And before we know it, there's a news truck out there asking us questions about what's going on. And they did this like amazingly nice news piece and they got a comments from the city and just made everyone look really good. And so that was a really good first step. And mm-hmm. so the city already had like some pressure to do something positive about it just from that. And then there was a lot of like activity on Twitter, like tweeting at everyone. And I sent out emails to like every single city councilman Like, I don't know how this works. So this is like a really stupid idea, I think, to send an email out to every single city councilman in your whole city, unless you're trying to really make some people mad. But I think that I just annoyed the crap out of everyone. (laughs) And then the neighborhood was positive about it. So they were like, we don't want to fight this. We don't have the energy. Just whatever. I don't know. They just kind of just rolled over. Is there a window when they're going to revisit this issue? Well, that's the thing is that there's like nothing in writing. So basically this project started on like an active road. So they wanted to get rid of all the stuff on the road, which is understandable. And we're like, okay, that's fine. Like since they said that we can use like this unused space that isn't an active road. And so originally they said they wanted to tear all that stuff out and that they were going to repave this whole unused area so that it would be really good for us to use. Cause right now it's really horrible ground, but now they've backed out of like helping us in any way. So I don't know. I think the plan is that they're not going to do anything about it. It's going to stay there for a few years. The other background about this location is that it's sort of tied up in a development contract. Oh, okay. There's a development project that's been, they've been trying to get off the ground in this neighborhood for, I think the contract was signed at least five years ago, maybe like 10. And it's just sort of an idea that they haven't worked out. And we've heard directly from the developers that optimistically it'll start in three to five years in the area that we're in. So I think that's another reason that we're kind of being allowed to do it is that maybe it's not like a totally permanent fixture. So what has surprised you about doing all of this? I mean, it sounds like there are some things that have caught you off guard, but then there are things that have pleasantly surprised you too. The neighborhood support has really surprised me. Like as a skateboarder, it's pretty rare to have unanimous support of anything that you're doing. Usually it's like the exact opposite. 
it's been so neat to see like with all the media coverage, all the other people that are coming out that I never would have expected to get involved with this people that want to like help us with grant writing people that want to, you know, make connections for us within the construction industry to like find some, some allies there. There's just lots of people that are, Oh, let me reach out to so-and-so that I know, see if they could get you a good price. Or even like, since we're so unknowledgeable, just, people that will tell us the right concrete places to go to, you know, or the right places to buy these supplies. Cause that's like a huge learning curve as well. Man, I don't know what else has been so surprising. I don't know if it's surprising, but it's been really neat to see all the kids in the neighborhood that get involved with this project, you know, that didn't skate before or weren't doing anything like this before, you know, we're not like provoking them to skate necessarily, but they just see something cool going on and like want to come help, but that doesn't mean they're going to start skateboarding. They just kind of want to like help out. They can recognize that this is like a cool thing or a good thing and something that they want to be around. So that's been really exciting and driving around the neighborhood and like seeing kids that I've never seen before, like with skateboards now is kind of cool. Sounds pretty gratifying. Yeah. Something else I thought was interesting was I was reading through your Twitter feed and I saw a photo where the skate park is being used as more than just a skate park. Like I saw that there were cyclists and Mm -hmm. people walking their dogs and that seemed really neat to me too. Like it's become something that it's not just your group that's using it. It seems like everybody in the neighborhood wants to use it. Yeah. One of the the biggest benefits to the neighborhood of this project is that space was just very vacant. People weren't really using it at all. Some of the access points via sidewalk to that area were completely overgrown with like trees from the lot that were like overhanging and consuming the sidewalks and just grass everywhere. And so we we did a few projects like that early on where we were clearing some sidewalks and kind of just cleaning up the area. And I kind of wanted to do that as like an act of goodwill almost. But I think it was like good for us too, because then we could park and like walk to the spot, you know, it just made it more open and made it more accessible. And then there was also a really interesting uncertain period for the project where it was when the city had just found out about it and they didn't know what to do. And so since they didn't know what to do, they closed the road temporarily and the road was closed for almost a month. And so that opened it up a lot more for runners and walkers and dog walkers and kids and families and bikers and everyone it made it way more inviting for those kinds of activities to happen in this space. But it was kind of exciting because it was almost like the street was going to, we like closed the whole street and took it back for all those activities. And that almost happened. They considered uh, leaving the road closed. Does the road get a lot of traffic? Yeah, it does. It's sort of a, a through street. And especially with a lot of the construction that's been going on recently in our neighborhood, it's become more vital actually. So it's probably better that it stayed open. There's some detours right now that cut through that road. But one of the main problems with safety before we started or what we were noticing when we first started really spending time in that space is that it's like this long curved road. And so and there's no visual blockers across the curve. So if you're driving, you can see down the curve super far. And so you can see if there's anyone coming, you know, any cars. And people would just fly, like, you know, going so fast around that curve. Now, with people in the street and people parking their cars there that block the moving car's line of sight, 
it dramatically slowed down traffic in that area. I mean, this is a place where there's a big um, affordable housing project close where there are a lot of families and children and those houses are like pretty compact living spaces. So there's really not much room for people to like get out and play and just enjoy like a big open space. So a lot of kids come down to this field already to like run and like be in an open area. I mean, I like to think that our activity there has made it a lot safer for like kids to be occupying the space. So did you have an interest in human geography and that sort of thing before you started this? Because it sounds like you maybe have some knowledge of, you know, like urban design and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's I mean, it's definitely something that I'm interested in, but sort of just as like a hobby, like something I like to read about. I got you. Yeah. I didn't know how involved you were with that. Yeah, I mean, and I think, and I've been interested in, in projects like these for a long time. I mean, as a lot of, as like all of the people that work on this project with me have been, and this is like a very typical theme of these projects is that they're in unused spaces with all these problematic activities going on. And this is a positive like occupation of a vacant space. And that's always the argument because so many of these projects, people just don't want them to be happening because people are scared about liabilities. And that's been a big thing to pat the city on the back about with this is that they kind of somehow decided that they were going to accept the liability for it, which makes sense to me. Skateboarding is statistically less likely to result in injuries than like soccer and baseball and all these other organized activities. And Oh, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, most cities don't have additional insurance uh, for their skate parks. Like, they, it just falls under their normal park insurance. Like, it's not something that needs to be an extra liability. Like, it, it's something that's like should be included in any other activity. But it's not really viewed that way. And I think that it's, I'm like really excited that the city was able to look at it as this isn't going to be a huge liability for us. Like, they were able to look at it objectively. That's good. Now, I know a project like this may not work everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, it depends on the political climate and that sort of thing. But would you have any advice for people who might be interested in trying something similar? I mean, not not necessarily a skate park, but creating a public space. Right. You know, is there anything you've learned that you would like to pass along? Well, one thing I would say is that you really need to find an appropriate space, somewhere where the neighbors are going to be tolerant of this and that it's going to be appreciated. Because like you said, this kind of project can't happen everywhere, but there are places that would appreciate a project like this. But I also think that that doesn't mean that you should wait until you find like the perfect location. Like I said, we've had a lot of skate park projects like this that haven't worked out. I've tried to initiate projects in the same way at other locations where we would go in and build something and see what would happen. And it was like smashed the next day. You know, you can't be afraid to fail. But yeah, I mean, our we immediately were in conversation with the neighbors of the spot and knew that they were okay with it and, you know, asked them what we could do to make them more comfortable with what was happening. We try to be very aware of like the attitudes of the neighborhood and things that we might be doing to upset people. So I think that you need to be connected to your community, you know, where the project is happening. So what would be the best way for someone to keep up with the Harrison Street DIY project online? We have a blog at harrisonstreetdiy.blogspot.com. It has the whole story of the spot, the post date back to the very, very beginning. So you can see exactly how it started. 
And then we also have a donate link, which is to our PayPal, which is our email, which is another way to contact us, harrisonstreetdiy at gmail.com. We have a Twitter at harrisonstreetdiy. And if you search the hashtag harrisonstreetdiy on Instagram, you'll see a lot of photos that lots of people have taken of the spot. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. I think that was everything I wanted to cover. Is, is there anything else you'd like to add? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I did think of one thing to add. Sure. Yeah, please. It's really cool to see how this project is so influenced by like the regional culture. Mm-hmm. Our lead builder, his name is Kyle Crandall, and he's from St. Louis, and he's basically like guided us through like every step of the process and really spent a lot of time to work on this thing. And he moved here a few years ago from St. Louis. And when he was in high school, he started a DOI park under a bridge that was littered with trash in St. Louis. And that park turned into the biggest DIY skate park in the Midwest and like the most well-known and like the, one of the coolest. And so he worked through that whole process. So there's a strong culture in St. Louis. And then there's also like a strong culture in the middle of Missouri where there's a guy that has property in the middle of nowhere and he has built a DIY skate park and he goes to St. Louis and helps out there on their projects. And then people from St. Louis go to Herman, Missouri to help this guy out on his project. And so now the guy from St. Louis is in Kansas city helping us out. And we're having people from St. Louis come to Kansas city to help us out. And it's really cool to see how this project and projects like these make these connections that aren't just within your city. Yeah. I mean, we've got people from Colorado that want to help us. And there's a guy from Oregon that like makes this specific piece of building material that you use for skate parks. And he's like working with us to get us like a really good price and like the best shipping rates. And he's going to send us a bunch of blemished product. I know that these projects go on everywhere, but now being involved in one, like I'm seeing how like this, there's this huge network of people helping each other out like nationally and internationally. It's not just people working on their own isolated projects. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to be willing and like eager to seek out friendships and be willing to like accept help from others because when you do that, it just like keeps ballooning, you know? It's yeah. been pretty cool. This this project, I think, is strengthening our connections with some other scenes in other cities. So I f- feel like that's a pretty big benefit of what's going on. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, you know, I'm older now and I haven't kept up with the skateboarding community in a while. But, you know, I'm realizing how closely knit communities like yours can be. And it's it's a lot to think about. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Okay. Well, I think that's all I have. Cool. Thanks for uh, being curious about our project. Yeah. Really pulling for you guys, so take care. Yeah, thank you. This has been The Plural of You. I'm Josh Morgan, and the show's website is pluralofyou.org. That's all for now. Thank you for being kind today. Take care.